The following is a message from our 10-week series, Hashtag Happy. For more, visit LinworthRoadChurch.com. If you're a high school student or one of our middle school or high school parents, I know you've been a little anxious about uh, our not having a, high, a student director, and we've been in a process to uh, uh, try to uh, get someone connected to that, and I'm happy to announce this morning we have made a decision and uh, made uh, an offer, and it's been accepted by Alex Fabian. And uh, Alex, if you're here with your wife, Heather, would you stand up? Yeah. Yeah. We um, uh, will have Alex up on the stage here in just a few weeks and uh, give you a little bit more of a formal opportunity to get to know him. And, uh, but for the time being, I'm not quite sure if they'll be able to stick around here after the service. I think Alex will, but uh, be sure to greet him and introduce yourself. And we're excited to have both of them uh, here and anxious to see what God's going to do, do through them. So welcome, guys. Welcome. We're going to conclude our happy series this morning. <clears throat> it's really been happy to do it. It's been a joy to do it and uh, kind of hate to see it go. But we're going to start next week, embark next week on an Advent series as we start moving towards Christmas. That's going to be a joy too. So I hope you can come back and include your friends next week. This morning's talk is called Happy Mission. You know, one of the great joys I've had in life is when I have the chance to work alongside of one of my sons or my daughter. My oldest son and I have had an annual trip uh, in the spring where we take his truck and drive out to Plain City to buy some topsoil out there. You may ask why we go to Plain City. Well, there's two obvious reasons. One is Plain City has the best soil. But secondly, their Dutchman is there. And so if you're close to Dare Dutchman, you obviously cannot not stop and get breakfast at Dare Dutchman. So that's also part of our little tradition. And we have a good time, a lot of good conversation along the way. We come back to our place and work together there, uh, patching patching, uh, some of the uh, areas of our yard that need patched, um, building up our beds and so forth. It's just very uniting to work alongside of, of your children. And you know, it's a joy for children to work alongside their parents particularly for small children. When a child gets to work alongside their parent, they get to enter into that magical world of adults. And they experience a rush of pleasure that comes from the significance of accomplishment and feeling the pleasure of mom and dad's pride over them. Working together for a common goal unites hearts. And especially in the family when the dynamic is working as God intended it to work. My dad told me at one point in his life that he wished that he could have owned a farm. My uh, grandfather uh, attempted several times during the years of the Great Depression to secure a farm and could not. And my dad said, you know, if I could have owned a farm, I could have had something to pass down to you by way of some sort of a business. You know, for many parents, that's a dream, a vocational dream to pass down a business to their children. What pride a parent must feel to hang out a sign that says Smith & Sons Hardware or Jones Family Restaurant. Now, that would not quite work for me. 
And I'd love to have my sons working alongside of me. I got my wife working alongside of me. But I could probably not change the sign out front to say something like Linworth and Sons Church. You know, circa 1973 or something. Yeah, that may not work out too well. But that's made me happy, working alongside of my children. Another thing that's made me really happy is going on mission trips. Because of your support, because of the vision of this church, I've been able to go to many different countries of the world. Mission trips like this last one to East Africa have been some of the happiest experiences of my life. Mission trips mean sacrifice, hard work, time away from family, loss of comfort, disruption of routine, a feeling of cultural dislocation, language barriers, etc., etc. How does that sound like fun? How can that equal happiness? Here's why. Because mission trips also mean 24-7 serving God. They mean uniting with God like a child might unite with their parent in complete abandonment. They mean working alongside of your father, working alongside of your brothers and sisters to have an eternal significant accomplishment. Eternally significant. So this morning, if you get no other application from this morning, will you put a mission trip on your bucket list? I think that deserves to be there. It's my hope and my dream that you, all of you, could have that experience in your life. Well, what is the work? What work are we uniting with God to do? I don't know of a passage that says it more clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Will you stand with me, please, as I read this passage? You can also, you can look on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles on page 966. We're going to begin at verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all, Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This means a natural point of view. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Father, this is your word. Thanks be to you for it. We ask you, Father, this morning as we enter into experiencing your word this morning, that it would truly grab a hold of our hearts, changing us from the inside out. Speak to each of us, Father, or speak to us corporately as a body, and speak to each of us individually right in the place where we need to hear your voice. Remove any distractions from our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. So I asked the question, what is it that we unite with God in? And the answer according to that passage is we unite with God in the work of reconciliation. It is our independence. It's our arrogance. It's our running away from God. This is what the Bible calls sin. That's what creates a barrier, a disconnection between us and God. What creates spiritual death. And so our mission in life is to work with God to bring peace between human beings and God. In Sometime over the next four weeks, I'm sure we're going to sing this carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. And if you know it, finish it with me. God and sinner reconciled. Through sharing the good news, we join with the Father in reconciling the world, bringing peace. Being on mission means sacrifice. Yet one of the surprising outcomes in engaging in mission is abounding joy. How does that work? It appears upside down. How does a sacrificial life devoted to helping others reconcile to God create such an outcome? I tried, to, I tried to boil down that passage into a single statement. Here's what I came up with. Sharing our faith moves us into the joy-filled realm of uniting with God in His care for the spiritually poor. Uniting with God connects us to our life purpose. And that is what inflames our hearts with joy. If you leave here today, and actually I encourage you to do this sometime, if you walk out the center doors here and turn to your left, you'll notice on the blue curved wall, walking towards the fellowship hall, there are three boards there. Those boards are our pathway to Christ-likeness. They follow the framework of our mission statement. And each board lists values as well as the behaviors of what it looks like to be fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. Now, under fully on mission, there is the value of global slash local. God's vision for all of us is that we would share in his heart to reconcile the world to himself. 
God is very interested in America. But he is equally, equally passionate about Kenya, China, Argentina, and all the people groups of the world. We envision all of us finding a way to participate in what God is doing around the world. Now, the second part is local. And here is something else that we believe. We believe that God has sovereignly placed you in a geographical neighborhood. We believe that God has placed you in a vocational neighborhood. To work alongside of him in sharing the good news about Jesus. We call this our relational parish. Our parish, so to speak, which is our church, in one sense, in one sense, not only includes us, but it includes the seven or eight neighbors who you live, work, and play alongside of. Because there are some of those seven or eight that one day may be future members of this church. And we believe God has put you in their world for a specific reason that you might be a part of God's agency, a part of what God is doing around the world to help communicate the good news to them. The people you live, work, and play alongside of. Now, to help me illustrate this this morning, I want to invite to the stage my fellow pastor, Mike Failer. Let's have a nice Linworth welcome for Pastor Mike. Now, Mike's not been up here for a while, so if you're new, let me introduce him. Mike, hello, Mike. Good morning. (laughs) Mike is a former teacher in the Worthington District. As a matter of fact, he invested invested his entire teaching career there. Mike also coached football, and as many of you know, know Mike, he had the chance to play football at Ohio State for none other than Woody Hayes. When Mike first joined our staff, and we would travel overnights for retreats, sometime, inevitably, during that retreat, we would say to Mike, Mike, tell us some Woody stories. And indeed, Mike has a lot of very interesting Woody stories. We never left those conversations disappointed. Mike also has a huge heart for the spiritually poor. Who are the spiritually poor? They are those without any knowledge of what Christ has done. Or they are those who possess a distorted caricature or a distorted view of Jesus, as many people do here in our own country. And it's sharing the good news about Jesus with them. It is an area of grace that God has given to Mike. And I've asked him to come up this morning and to share with us some of his stories. And so... We're going to use this as a guide, and uh, so Mike, you ready? Okay, we're going to begin with Mike, someone that you lived alongside of, so tell us the story of your neighbor, Kathy.
and had often said things to Kelly, my wife Kelly, uh, that was very hurtful. But you know, we tried to reach out to her, we tried to show the love of Christ to her, we tried to let our light shine uh, to Kathy as much as we could as a family. I remember one time uh, we decided we were going to have a seeker study in our neighborhood. And so we went around and uh, we asked neighbors if they would like to come over and study the Gospel of John and see how the Bible is relevant to our lives today. And uh, we had six people in the neighborhood come. Uh, they, um, we had one couple who owned a bar and they came. And it was awesome to see how, as we went through the Gospel of John, uh, how it penetrated their hearts. And we know at least one person became a believer after that study. But I remember going to Kathy and saying, would you like to join us and, and come? And she said, no, no. She said, uh, I have priests and nuns in my family. I don't need that. <laughs> and uh, so she just really wasn't that open at that time. But then something happened that began to change things. One day, Kathy came over in tears. And she broke down, and she told us that she was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember Kelly and I, uh, this gave us an opportunity to minister to her, and Kelly prayed with her. And of course, we began to share with her. And uh, then we asked Kathy, uh, as time went on, we said, would you like to come over to our house and just have dinner, and we'll read the Bible together afterwards? And she said, yes, I would like to do that. So week after week, Kelly would prepare a nice meal, and she would come over, and we would sit down, and we would just read the Bible together. We went through the Gospels. You know, you've heard of um, uh, dinner in a movie. This was dinner in the Bible. <laughs> and, uh, but as time went on, you could just see how God opened the Scriptures to Kathy, and how he opened her eyes to the truth of the Gospel, and he opened her heart to respond. And Kathy became a believer in Christ. You see, she came to a point where she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, and not in her good works or her religion. She was a churchgoer, so instead of trusting in her churchanity, she began to trust in Christ. And what a difference in her life. There was a new joy, and there was a new peace, and there was a new love in her life. She became... she. She came to Kelly and she apologized for some of the things she said in the past. And she had regret. And, uh, but she became a loving, caring person. Jesus Christ had transformed her life. And, you know, she did die from cancer. But we believe that she had peace with God through faith in Christ. And she died having made great story, Mike. That's a great story. Amen. Amen. Let's go to that next category is the world of work. And Mike, you had a student named Dusty. Tell us about Dusty. But he came from a horrible, uh, just a 
horrible thing. His father was an alcoholic, and his mother left and literally abandoned him. I remember one time Dusty went down to Florida to visit his mom, and she wouldn't have anything to do with him. And as a result, he had a lot of emotional problems. I remember one time they called me down to the cafeteria because he was having meltdowns. They said, Coach Baylor, come to the cafeteria. And I went down, and he was just red in his face, and he was just getting ready to explode. And he had a lot of, a lot of deep-seated problems. Um, but, you know, I would often share with Dusty, and I would tell him, I'd say, Dusty, God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Well, so he went on to the high school, but when he was at the high school, I think it was his sophomore or junior year, what, he would often come back and visit me. And he would come back after school, and he would just want to hang out and talk. And often I would share with him the gospel. But well, one time in high school, he came back, and we were standing outside in the schoolyard, and that was a time where God gripped his heart. And I remember, after hearing the gospel again, Dusty wanted forgiveness of his sins. And right there in the yard, he prayed and asked Jesus to forgive him and Jesus to come into his heart, into his life, and take control of his life. And uh, what a change began to happen in Dusty's life. He, uh, uh, he just became a brand new person. You know, uh, we looked at that scripture just a moment ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come. And Dusty's life was transformed. He eventually lived with a Christian family who discipled him. And, well, where's Dusty now? He's teaching at Northwestern. And his name is Dustin, Dr. Dustin French. He has a doctorate degree. He teaches at Northwestern. He's married. He has three children. And he loves the Lord. And he keeps in touch with him to this day. And, you know, it's such a joy just to see him walking in the truth and to see how God changes lives. And, Mike, you had said, I think, the first service that at one point, one of Dusty's teachers had said, not to him, but to you. Yes. Comment on that. Yes, you know, teachers talk in those teacher's lounge and so forth. And I remember a teacher coming up to me and saying, uh, because I was always trying to keep Dusty eligible uh, so he could play football, because he was always, he was always failing this or failing that, and he, he struggled with grades all through high school. And I had a teacher come up to me and said, he said, Corey, he said, that kid is just worthless. He will never amount to anything. And it really upset me. But, uh, you know, here's a, here's a kid who was failing out of school, and he goes on and he gets his doctorate degree. And uh, it's just a testimony of how Jesus Christ changed lives. Amen. 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 Okay, that last category, Mike, is someone to, uh, you play alongside. And uh, you met a man named Brian. Tell us about that.
tell you the truth, I love to see men inter interact with other people in the gym. And um, I have to confess, I didn't like him. I thought, I don't like that guy. And you know, God convicted me. And the Lord said to me, he said, Mike, you need to love that guy. And so I began to pray. I said, Lord, if you want to share with me, then you have to open the door and give me an opportunity. Well, one day he lived in, in an area right next to me, and I struck up a conversation with him. And uh, I found that Brian loves football, and he also played football. So right there, we had something in common. You know, the Apostle Paul said, uh, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. He found common ground with people. So I began to talk to him about football and lifting weights. And uh, then I began to share with him my faith in Christ. And he would listen. And, uh, you know, I thought he would be the last person in the world who would ever want to hear the gospel. The last person in the world who would ever hear anything about God. But he had a very open heart. And he would listen as I would share to him. And, uh, and so one day he came in and he was kind of stressed. And he said, my the corporation I work for wants to move me to China. And it, it uh, created a lot of anxiety in his life. And uh, this gave me just more opportunity to share with him. And I remember one day we were in the locker room, back kind of in a back corner. And uh, I said, I said, Brian, I said, right now, I said, Jesus stands at the door of your heart knocking, wanting to come in, wanting to come into your heart, into your life. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to make you a new person. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life. And uh, Brian knew and he said, I, I want forgiveness. And I want that. And so right in the locker room, uh, right there, right out loud, uh, he prayed and asked God to forgive his sins. He asked Jesus to come into his heart. He then, he did then move on to China. Uh, but, you know, I think the thing I, I learned from that was sometimes the, the, the very people that we think would never be interested, would never want to hear, are the ones who uh, want to hear something. Amen. Mike, um, for every story you've shared this morning, there's some other really incredible stories. For every successful one, I'm sure there are 10 that did not turn out this way. Um, we've known each other for 25 years, and what I've noticed in you is that your motivation for this has not waned. It's gotten hotter. How do you stay motivated? You know, I, I, I think about the fact that people are lost. Uh, there is a heaven and there is a real hell. And Jesus said there's two roads in life. There's a broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. And everybody we see and everybody we meet and everyone we know goes on one of those two roads. They're either on a road that leads to life or a road that leads to destruction. And I think of people being lost, and, and I, 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 I know that so many are searching. They're searching for something. And what they're searching for is God. Because we were made by God, and we were made for God. We were made to have a relationship with God. And if we don't have that, something's missing in our lives. And I, I know that there are people out there that are searching that if they just heard about Jesus, if, if they just heard the good news, 
So indeed, it's a happy mission. It is a happy mission. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Mike, before you go, I just want to say this. Is there's a lot of times that when we think of someone who is good at sharing their faith or someone who is an evangelist, there's sometimes that we think of that person and a certain caricature comes to our mind. Someone not loving. Someone that's like overly aggressive. Someone who's pushy. And, Mike, what I have watched in your life and observed in your life, one of the reasons, besides just God's work in you, that you're so good at this is that you love people. You love people. And if you want to become more effective in this work, that's where it begins. Loving people. So, Mike, let's have about a big round of applause. Okay, just a few remaining minutes I have. First, an in-service advertisement, okay, that Mike's helping me with. Part of our goals this year is to create an evangelism team. This is an opportunity to be mentored by Mike and to be coached to be successful in this area. We are looking for 10 to 15 souls who would commit to be a part of this team for a year. Now, we're going to explain uh, in more detail on December the 4th what it looks like to participate on this team. That's two weeks from now. It'll be during first service. Um, If you're planning on coming or if you're interested in thinking about being a part of this team, just write evangelism team on your connect card and again, as Doug said, we'll follow up with you. You see, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4 lists the different gifts that the church needs to operate on all eight cylinders. Now, two of those gifts are pastor, teacher. And through our various leadership roles here at Linworth, we have over 40 leaders given to pastoring and teaching. One of the other gifts is evangelism. And frankly, it is somewhat neglected here. And we need to give it more attention if we're going to be the church that God desires. And so we're asking the Lord to raise up 10 to 15 people who would be given to concentrating, focusing, excelling in this work. And it will help us 
so much as a local church to fulfill what our purpose is. So please think and pray about that. Now to close, I just want to take us back to one word in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. Because you may be asking the question, it's a fair question, I understand. You may be asking the question, why not just put my head down? Why not just avoid the hassle? Why not just give my life to making more money, living for the weekend? I'll still come to church. I'll be a one day a week or a two day a week Christian. Why give myself to be a part of helping reconcile the world to God? In verse 14, this word control, for the love of Christ controls me. It's a very interesting word. Some versions say compel. Other versions say constrain. Now this same word for control is used in different ways in the New Testament. Matthew uses the same word to describe how the crowds were all pressing in around Jesus. Paul used the same word in Philippians when he described how he felt torn. That's the same word. On one hand, Paul had the believers in Philippi, he wanted the young Christians, he wanted to help grow. On the other hand, he wanted to be with Christ. And he felt torn between the two. He felt hemmed in. Another way this word was used in the ancient Greek is it talked about a ship that had to come in, a very narrow port in order to get to its, its destination. But though Paul used this word, he is not communicating that he felt trapped or enslaved. Rather, Paul sensed an obligation. Paul sensed a demand to give his life away. But it was not an obligation, meaning a dreadful duty that you can't wait to be finished and be done with. It was an obligation because of love. It was an obligation of appreciation. It was an obligation or a demand that naturally bubbles up from within when one person is greatly loved. Recently, I've had, I came to this place, I have two people in my life where I recognize that their great investment in me and in my family required me to do more. One uh, was a doctor who has consistently served our family for over 15 years without cost. And a second is a, uh, a former pastor, a spiritual mentor. He's not connected to this church or our family of churches in any way. And he has spent time with me over the last seven, eight years and has really met some great wisdom needs and some emotional needs in my life. And so this past year, I began to feel an obligation that thank you just wasn't enough. I needed to be more demonstrative in my gratitude. It got to seem that if I didn't do something, it would be sin. I felt an obligation of gratitude and love. There was no way I could ever pay them back financially with what they had given to me. But I could make sure that they understood how deeply 
I appreciated them. That's what Paul's talking about. Appreciating the sacrifice. Not doing the minimal activity to check off a list because it's a dreadful duty, but a free will offering of love and gratitude. This is a love that says, no, no, I am not going to live for a lesser purpose. This is a love that develops a single focus in our lives. That like Paul, we could say, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Or like Jesus, we could say, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. It is a love that points us in the direction of living for God every day and uniting with God in his work to reconcile the world to himself. And along the way, if you do that, you'll be able to look back over your life and you'll say the same thing. You'll say, when I united with God in the work of reconciliation, those indeed were some of the happiest. They were some of the happiest moments of my life. This morning, if you've never made that commitment to point your life in the direction of living for God and uniting with Him to live for the reconciliation of this world, I want to urge you to do so. Or if you have made that commitment in the past and that commitment has withered or faded or lost its shine, this morning I want to appeal to you and urge you to recommit your life to living Four, reconciling the world to God, to uniting with God in that great work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being here through your presence, speaking through the power of your word, by your Holy Spirit applying it to our lives in unique and individual ways. We pray that, Father, you'd put into our hearts a desire to live for you and a desire to share the good news with our vocational neighborhood and with our geographical neighborhood and to the people you put into our lives. Father, we do ask you to raise up a team of people in this church who will help set the pace in this area. I thank you for everyone who's already given to pastoring, teaching, uh, showing the gift of mercy, using the gift of leadership in this church. What gifts are already being brought to help this church fulfill its potential? Now, Father, bring forward those who will help set the pace in communicating the good news. We commit this to you. As we now, Father, turn towards the, this part of our life together this morning, Let us sing, let us pray, let us give of our resources, let us connect with you and respond to your word with wholehearted, abandoned worship. Father, recognizing that you are the center of our lives and our lives revolve around you and we repent, Father, we repent for all the times throughout this week where we have made ourselves a center and put you in the periphery. Lord, let us truly Find freedom as we worship, as we give, as we pray. Through Christ we pray. Amen.